The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Thank you to Ian, Dear- Ian Dearborn as ever for the last hour but now let's settle in and take stock of the opinions of the one and only Cambridge Film Show. It is only February but we've already got such a plethora of films under our 2023 belts that it's going to require three hosts, seven reviewers and a whole extra show, more on that later, to cover everything worth watching at the moment on the big screen and the small. I'm Emma Marchin, kind of co-hosting along today with the ever-extra Ashley Whitaker. Not really co-hosting at all, hello. <laughs> and the ever-awesome Yossi Osman. Oh, why, thank you, hello. Three hosts for the price of one and all women. What did we do to deserve it? I think there should be a women in film reviewing day and I'm going to make it today because we also have the lovely Vicky Eyre here reviewing. Hello. Luke Irwin. Good afternoon. Stuart Pask. Hello. And debuting today on the Cambridge Film Show, Will Johnson. Hi, Yay. thanks for having me. <laughs> for this hour, we will be swashbuckling amongst the catnip with pushing Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, holding our holding our breath as an abused community of women decide to fight back in Oscar-nominated women talking and sticking with Oscar noms, albeit contentious ones, checking out Andrea Riseborough's performance as an alcoholic at rock bottom in To Leslie. We'll also cast a critical eye over Apple TV's latest original, twisty neo-noir Sharper, and finish off with our own tips for the BAFTA glories tomorrow night. But to kick off, what is that I can hear on the horizon? Is it the thundering hooves of MCU's Phase 5 appearing? Let's grab our shrink rays and see what Atman and the Wasp are up to in the quantum realm. You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. Some of the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Um, the whole gang are back for this Ant-Man's third adventure. Paul Rowley is playing Scott Lang, the titular hero, who, thanks to Hugh Pym, Michael Douglas's Pym Particles, can shrink and grow at will. Along with Evangeline Lilly as Hugh's daughter Hope, or the Wasp, and Michelle Pfeiffer as his wife Janet Van Dyne, and this time in a bigger role, Catherine Newton as Scott's daughter Cassie, all five of our heroes are thrown into the quantum realm where they're going to meet all kinds of creatures and come up against the MCU's new big villain, Kang. Stuart, we always have to come to you first with Marvel. This one, to be honest, this came out yesterday and it hasn't had the best critical reviews as yet. But I know that you were extremely positive. So please tell us why the critics are wrong and why we should be rushing to see this. So this is this is where I, I posted quite happily on the social media coming out of the cinema yesterday that the uh, the critics are wrong and don't listen to them. But um, apparently in this capacity, I'm a critic. So um, listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really, really um, divided at the moment. So if you go onto Rotten Tomatoes, one of those uh, famous review aggregator sites, you'll see, I believe, that the, the last time I checked, the reviews were 48% from the reviewers. But flip that round to the audience scores, it's 84%. And I am definitely on the side of the audience on this one. Now, I am 
as we discussed, huge Marvel fanboy nerd, and I have been excited for this film since I ever first heard their remix of Elton John's Yellow Brick Road um, in the trailer, and that's had my imagination since... Um, since, since since seeing it and I, th- I think that's one of the big things about the film you've got to go in with your imagination on overdrive with your open mind and there have been some criticisms that a lot of the film relies too much on cgi on green screen to make this movie what it is but i didn't ha- share that uh complaint at all i thought the world was really immersive i really enjoyed the return to the quantum realm i thought the visual effects were outstanding i thought that the action and the story was fast paced um you can't go wrong with paul rudd he he's just so charismatic so you're along for the ride with him sometimes you know you, you've got michael douglas you sort of wonder why he's there a bit to be fair. <laughs> every now and then evangeline lily a little bit or she's definitely there as as, as as the sidekick but um really the people who own this are, are definitely sort of jonathan majors he really 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 is the guy who embodies our kang the conqueror villain and he just oozes um cat charisma for this character and all the variants thereof that we're going to see. Mm. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> well I, I must say, I think we've started off with an incredibly positive review there. Will, let's come to you. Um, this is, I mean, th- th- Stu kind of touched on this maybe, or some of the reviews have been touching on this. This, I think, has to set up an awful lot of kind of other, I must admit, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm excited to see it. Okay. I haven't seen it yet, and I think I need to revise the, the last Ant-Man to remember where I am in the because there's been a lot going on. Does it suffer a bit from having to set up other other Marvel storylines, if you like, or refer back to them, or is it its own film? Um, well, I actually believe it's a great start to the next phase. Obviously, um, there were quite a few people disappointed with Phase Four, um, with all the TV series and you know the films just kind of petering out. But I think it's a good start. It's its own film, but also um, sets up that Kang Dynasty, which. We're all waiting. Excellent. Luke, talking about it being its own film, this is obviously Peyton Reed's third time behind the camera as well, after the Edgar Wright sort of f- f- fiasco, farango of the first one. Peyton Reed took over, who I'd always known as... I mean, I mean he made Down With Love, one of my favourite films of the early noughties with um, Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger, but I would never have pegged him for being a returning Marvel, <laughs> returning Marvel director. Does he bring a certain... In the same way that, let's say, Taika Waititi brings his edge to the Thor movies, is that the same with Peyton Reed and the Ant-Man movies? Well, I think you've hit on... I don't want to be the, the, the person who burst the Ant-Man bubble here. But um, we get, away, Luke. We're, getting so, we're getting so many of these films that are supposedly superhero films, um, but they're not, you know, they're, they're just comedies. And Pey- as you know, Peyton Reed has a comedy background, and in the first Ant-Man film, he really brought the comedic sensibility. But by, by this film, we're not, you know, we're not watching Ant-Man here, we're watching Honey, I Shrunk the Star Wars Universe. <laughs> um, We've lost so much of the charm of the, of the low-key um, what of Ant-Man universe when in the first film he's just um, in San Francisco. So much of the joy of the film is these everyday objects being shrunk or being made larger. I think there's a there's a bit in the first film where he's um, chasing around a vinyl record and, and there's another film where he's very large and he's um, using a flatbed truck. As a skateboard, <laughs> and by this one, I mean the visuals here are terrific. I think it's very easy to overlook um, how difficult it is to make a CG universe like this. But it's not Ant Man. It's you know it's a 
comedy little world it plastered in a flimsy CG background. Okay, so Luke <laughs> wanted more Ant-Man. Yossi, you were, as we know, a lockdown convert to Marvel, having yeah, not watched anything you do. So now, but now you are, you know, you are thoroughly immersed in this universe. Yeah. And I believe you were pretty excited about Jonathan Majors as well, being a yeah. big fan. Um, so how, how was it for you? Um, I think I'm a bit of a mixed on it uh, between all the views that we've had today. I think it depends what you want to go in to watch this film for. If you want this to be a singular Ant-Man film, you might be disappointed. But if you want to see what's going to happen with Phase 5, this film is very much a plot device to set up what's going to happen with Kang. And for me, that was great, because as you mentioned, I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Majors. I'm really happy to see him getting that coin in the big Marvel film. Um, and I think he's he's absolutely brilliant. In terms of the story, I think it could have been tightened up a little bit. I think that there was a lot of building up to Kang. There was a, They could have shaved off about 20 minutes to half an hour. And actually, the, the end act, where you get into the kind of typical let's have a fight style Marvel... Um, it, it didn't cut the mustard quite for me. There were a bit, there were a few moments that I found quite contrived, particularly with I don't know um, Scott Lang and and Cassie's relationship. So it could have been a lot tighter. That being said, I think the reviews that I've seen are a bit too negative. It it kept me hooked for two hours, and it's nice. I, I will make the point: it is nice to go in a full cinema for a film. And if there's one thing these Marvel films are doing, it's bringing people into cinemas. That and and, and yeah, amen to that for sure. Um, okay, the, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting a feeling now, Stuart. Um, there is obviously the MCU, the MCU Phase Five, and correct me if I'm wrong, is going to be an awful, awful lot, I presume, of kind of quantum mania and multiverses and different versions of people at all. I, I, get, I mean, I got hopelessly confused, I must admit, during Loki and that kind of thing. I, 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 I do watch all of these things, but I'm not always on board with it. Um, is this the, the, the beginning of this? Is this going to confuse us more if you are not sort of committed? A committed Marvel head, if you like, and you're not not committed to making sure you see everything and keep up with everything and follow the YouTube sort of the YouTubers afterwards to make sure you're picking up on all the Easter eggs. Is it still clear cut in the days like Iron Man used to be? I think I think this is where an area where I do have a degree of sympathy for what some of the reviewers are saying, and I think some of the, a lot of the reviewers feel compelled to grade it as a standalone film, and I don't think that entirely works all of the time with the Marvel films at the moment. I think you do have to go away and invest a little bit in the homework to get the full packet as well. Like if, if I went and watched Ant-Man without having understood all the other preambles from Loki and, and, and everything else that's going on at the moment in the build-up to Phase 5, maybe I'd come out a little bit sort of with more questions than answers. But um, I, th I think it's, it's definitely worth... Um, reviewing the backlog yeah definitely at least watch Loki season one um, season two is already in production um, so that will also build upon what we've seen in, in Quantumania and, and I, I think uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm excited for it okay and one last question um, I've seen mixed reviews actually on the world on, on the CGI world here or I've heard mixed reviews and read mixed reviews what would the general consensus be here? Because obviously a large part of this film is them in this world which, which where, where you know, the, the imagination knows no bounds, if you like, what they can come across. There's, it's, it's, it's out of this world, literally. How did that work for you? Mm. Anyone can chime in. Uh, well, I actually thought um, it's like a family adventure where they were pushing the boundaries of limitation. But um, at the beginning, I actually thought felt like watching Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Does anyone remember that film? Yes. Yeah, so it just felt like that. It was that kind of world. But overall, 
I think it worked. Um, it may have been quirky in places, but overall, I think it did, it did it for me. Good. I sort of disagree. Uh, I wanted to see more of the world. You know, they, when they first get into the quantum realm, they talk about how this is bigger than anything we know. There's this huge universe, worlds within worlds, and I didn't really get that from what I saw on the screen. I also think, I'm not going to make any spoilers, but some of the effects, particularly for a certain character, actually just made me laugh. They looked quite silly um so i guess i'm a little bit more on the negative side but it didn't it didn't totally destroy the experience for me i, I know exactly which character you're referring to <laughs> uh, this is this is always the problem with these marvel films like is it this incredibly um huge scale dramatic story um with these incredible visuals or is it silly and at times there's a real clash between what we're being told is supposedly happening in the story and then romping around with like these giant amoebas flying around in space and <laughs> buildings that are sentient. I mean, it's superb imagination, um, but it feels like it's... We're, we're I am yet to be convinced that the latter Marvel phases are going to hit those beats as well as they, you know, when everything finished up with Avengers Endgame, that in those, I, I think the, the cast that they had, the actors they had, they could hit those beats between poignancy and comedy so, so well. And I'm yet to be convinced by one of the new ones that we're, that we're quite going to be there. And I was just going to say, I am starting to wonder with the rate that they are pushing out Marvel films and TV series, if they're doing that to the detriment of the quality of the storytelling of some of these films and there's nothing in the last few films that has wowed me but I, I still have hope I agreed well Guardians of the Galaxy I think is the next am I right in saying that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is the next one that comes out May the 5th sounds right yes yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so which, which I'm very which will be the last of, of, of that particular tranche of movies as well so we'll see where that goes yeah. right well I think though as Yossi pointed out you know it's great to see fil full cinemas and this is definitely a film you should be going to see on a big screen it's on all the Cambridge cinemas including the IMAX and it is a certificate 12 a. Right, let's move on to some feline activities. I am pushing, bud. Holy it. Hey, giant! You want to see something cool? Gracias, the legend will never die. You died. I have nine lives. And how many times have you died already? Uh, uh no. Pushing Boots doesn't need a spotter. Watch. Uh Watch. I can't always land on his... Right, there was a little touch of the trailer for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, our return to the Shrek universe. We didn't even have time to cover this on the last show, and it's actually been around... It's been out now for over two weeks, but it's still packing them in at the multiplexes. I just dropped my 12-year-old old, old, old with his friends to go and see. He hasn't seen it yet. And came to these shores incredibly well-reviewed after a really strong showing in the States. Antonio Banderas reappeared in his back has Puss in Boots. This time, he has, with his crazy lifestyle, used up eight of his nine lives. So he is not only being pursued by death, but there is also Jack Horner, who's been thrown into play. Kitty Softballs is back. And um, there is a new, delightfully voiced little pal called Perito by Harvey Gwen from um, What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> Vicky, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. Like I just said, this is obviously, it's a family film. Yeah. It's 
part of the Shrek, the, the Shrek universe. It came very, very well reviewed. Does it deserve those plaudits? Well, I absolutely would not have gone to watch this had um, I not have seen all the hype about it online. I obviously I enjoyed the Shrek films. Who wouldn't? But I didn't watch the first uh, Puss in Boots. I think this is the sequel to it. And until I saw all these five stars getting shot around, I had no idea what I was walking into. And it is incredibly delightful it absolutely deserves everything all the round of applause it's getting um the the main thing is that it was it's on the track to kind of beat the ratings that avatar 2 was getting mm -hmm. just a few months ago and because of that i'm i'm so proud of it in ways it is wholesome it has this incredible animation style it definitely differs from the first um kind of uh, dream dreamworks animation style we're used to i would even compare it to like how i watched into the spider-verse for the first time it is like that kind of paint like like kind of textures the colors are flying everywhere it is is the animation is top notch on this it has the most incredible action scenes i've seen choreographed and on top of that it has this incredible cast that pulls out the emotions that you want to feel during an animation and my obviously florence Pugh as well like thank god she was in it i i'm I'm on the Florence Pugh train, but she, um, <laughs> beep beep. Yeah, I know, but she, um, as Goldilocks, I just loved all the side characters as much as the incredible Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek in this. Wonderful, Stuart. So I, I have to agree in terms of the animation and some of the choices they've made in this film, in, just in terms of how the, the visuals have come across. I love the fact that there's an entire fight scene with a giant, which is basically almost like a, a scene for scene remake from the anime from Attack on Titan. And I really, really enjoyed that. And that really stood out for me. It's like, where have I seen this before? Oh, it's a tribute to Attack on Titan. Fantastic. Love it. More of this, please. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I, as, as we touched upon, Florence Pugh as Goldilocks was fantastic, but not just Goldilocks, but also the three bears as well who play a sort of bounty hunter uh, twist on, on on the traditional fairy tale family um, we've got Olivia Coleman plays Mama Bear we've got Ray Winston fantastic casting for Papa Bear and Samson Kayo as Baby Bear I'm not so familiar with Samson Kayo but his voice sounded very similar to James Corden which almost immediately turned me off the film I would have had to stop watching it there and then but thank god it wasn't him because I stayed for the roller coaster ride and loved it <laughs> Cambridge Film Show fame fans of James Corden uh Will, I must admit, I was, I was, I was delighted by this film. I, I and I think the general consensus seemed to be on the on the sort of chat that we have up there that everybody else else was as well. How do you feel? Were how do, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the Shrek movies actually, so I don't miss mm. Shrek at all. Puss in Boots, I think, was one of those great spin-off characters that became greater than some of its parts. Mm. What did you find to enjoy? Um, well, as mentioned before. The animation was still brilliant, and Spider-Verse, it just reminded me of that. The fight scenes were actually excellent, and I think it's the best one so far. Um, it brings back quite a few old characters, obviously, Kitty Softpaws, played by Salma Hayek. So she's reunited with Antonio Banderas for probably, like, I think, the fourth or fifth time, after Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico as well. And I believe they actually had a great... How should I put it? They had a great connection... And it worked. Marvellous, Yossi. Um, there's, a, again, the review, this is like, it's a family film, but also it comes with the idea of fear of death, where, you know, the ageing, <laughs> what choices we've made with our lives and there where we should end up thus in our life, if you like. And that obviously speaks to the heartbeat of a much more mature audience. Did it 
hit the emotional buttons for you or was it just a romp? No, no, it did hit the emotional buttons. And I, I was a bit like Vicky. I didn't really think much of it before I watched it. And I ended up loving it. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, Puss in Boots has got me thinking about mortality. What is going on? <laughs> and it actually brought back the charm for me, I think, of the earlier Shrek cinematic universe films in that this is for kids, but also very, very much for adults. And it had things that work for both kinds of audiences. It had great pop culture jokes. I absolutely loved um Harvey Guillen as Perito I thought absolutely adorable character brought me to tears at one point I know it's very easy to bring me to tears but <laughs> fine. animated films but, and you're in tears yeah you and me the same <laughs> I mean it was really good fun for, for all you know anyone watching it and I'd really recommend it yeah I think yeah, I, I think as well let's not underestimate because we, we often talk about this on, on, on this show it has a delightfully brisk running time of about an hour and 40 minutes mm-hmm. and we haven't even mentioned the amazing John Mulaney who oh I do goodness. love as Jack mm, Horner yeah. and his bag of magical of magical things. That was one of it was it was like blink and you'll miss these references. It was so clever using you know a, a magical phoenix as a flamethrower. I just was I, I was really quite taken aback by the inventiveness. Um, and also um, Vicky, I was going to say that there were two baddies in this. I yeah. just mentioned Jack Mullaney who, who plays this awesomely animated Jack Horner as yeah. a sort of huge giant. But also you have um, Wagner Mora as yes. Wolf or Death. Best known for as uh, to be best known as um, Narcos, oh. as the real life drug dealer who I can't oh. remember his name. But I was really surprised. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up while Vicky's talking. How did you find? <laughs> how did you find Wagner Mora as the wolf? Was he sinister enough? For the you? wolf, or yeah, as you said, the cynicism of death was incredibly. Like, it put me on edge. I was reacting the way Puss in Boots was. I think, like, the deepness of his tone and the kind of silence that echoes in the film, because it's, it's, you're going 100 miles per hour, like, because Puss in Boots is such an, like, a speedy character, I would say. And then suddenly, every time this wolf is on screen, it is still, and you get this insane echoing ringed like whistle in the backgrounds that make you get goosebumps and mm. it reminds me a little bit of like Fantastic Mr. Fox where they have like a silent stare off um, halfway through the film it's it's very similar to that it's just you're looking at this character and he is just evil but then obviously after Puss in Boots you know changes the things he needs to change it is it's a wonderful way to tie up the film I would say I think his character is very much needed as a presence I agree and just for just, just, just to correct my it's Pablo Escobar that he plays. So who would have thought you'd go and see a Puss in Boots film and find the actor to play Pablo Escobar voicing death? This is why I think this film is is, is so many things to so many people. Yes, Stuart. One of, one, of the, one of the things I really enjoyed about this one is, and it's, it's only a very small detail in the film, but I think it's a bit that I really enjoyed in, with the three bears is the random Cockney piano music. Um, <laughs> push out the barrel! <laughs> like, this, this film is targeted at American audiences. I'd have loved to have seen the Americans being baffled by that. I <laughs> can't. <laughs> Yeah, this is true. And also, I, I, I very much enjoyed it when, when at the very beginning when Puss in Boots is sort of forced into an early retirement, if you like, with your standard, with Mother Luna and her um, entire house of crazy cats. Right, I think everybody around this table is saying, yes, go and see Puss in Boots. It's still playing at the cinemas. It's certificate PG and it is a whole heap of fun. And also, we didn't say, but yeah, Antonio Banderas is the heart and soul again of this movie. My goodness, he does a good job as Puss in Boots. Thank you. Right, we're going to listen to a little bit of the trailer for Women Talking and I'm going to hand over the delightful Yossi. Why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence? It was all waiting to happen. 
before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. Directed by Sarah Polly, that was the trailer for Women Talking, which is based on the novel by Miriam Tews. It stars Jesse Buckley, Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Frances McDormand, among others. Now, this story follows a group of women from an isolated religious colony who discover a horrible secret about sexual abuse committed by the men in the colony. They now have to have a discussion about what they're going to do about this. Are they going to stay in the colony and fight? Or are they going to leave? Um, so as you can tell from my little brief synopsis there, Ashley, this is this is a film that has some quite disturbing subject matter. So it's fair to go into this knowing that it may challenge an audience, right? The subject matter is kind of, I think, buried under the performances. It is really all about the women talking and figuring out what they're going to do and what their relationships are and why it's such a difficult decision. Um, there's not much violence they're all quite matter of fact about what's happened to them mostly I guess because they have been trained to think they deserve it so it's not challenging in that way I didn't think okay but so there's quite there's quite a lot of discussion in this film it's not the most dramatic in terms of what happens I just wonder is this film more about the message that's coming through or is there is there is there more to it Luke yeah um that's a pertinent question because I came into this film thinking, oh no, it's going to be it's going to be an issues film with you know big political undertones, and I think the film strikes the seemingly impossible tightrope of both being political in its nature. I mean, the political undertones um, couldn't be more easy to interpret. We have a bunch of women in a barn talking about um, the abuse that men. Um, do to them and discussing not just talking about the issues and the, the the power that you can have by sharing what's happened to you I mean, that strikes clear um, resonant issues to the Me Too movement in fact the film the film feels like it's a um, period piece but it's not it's, it's set 2010, just a, yeah, 2010 yeah. Um, but obviously the nature of their colony feels like we're in a different world mm. um, so it's sort of speaking to something both um, past and present but it also is not as grim as you might as the subject matter strikes there's, mm. sort of, there's engagement and there's even I dare say at times some sort of dark comedy it's a very engaging mm. very engaging and not quite fun fun isn't quite the right word um, but you don't come out of it feeling like you've been lectured Okay, um, Emma, I just want to come to you um, because the film is called Women Talking and when I was looking at uh, doing my research, the novel by Miriam Tews is actually told from the point of view of August, who is Ben Whishaw's character, the school teacher that is writing the notes for them. That's turned around in this and this film is very much about the women. The men, I mean, Ben Whishaw is there, but you don't get any perspectives of the men and I, personally, I really like that about this film. Oh yeah, he is firmly told on more than one occasion he's just there to take notes, and it's it's a rather it is a rather charming performance from Ben Whishaw, as you would expect. But yeah, I think with a cast like this as well, thank goodness they did do it. Just, I mean, because it really does give some fine actresses a chance to show their chops. Like you say, it is quite stagey. It is quite um, 
it, it, it's quite low-key. It is talking in a bar like so. But Claire Foy in particular, who I think perhaps is going to run, you know, run a slight danger of being typecast as the Queen in the first two seasons of The Crown. I thought Claire Foy was a surprise in this. You know, plus Rooney Mana, plus, of course, Jessie Buckley, who I think we all... I, I don't know whether or not she was slightly miscast in this, but she is... Ashley is shaking Ash, her head at Ashley's. me. Because <laughs> you're a huge Jessie Buckley fan, usually. I am. I wrote one note down, and that's Claire Foy is very overpowering, and she completely drowns out Rooney Mara and Jessie Buckley, who are very subtle and much better actors than she is. And she just pulls so much focus. I know that's partially to do with her character. She's shouting she's the angry one uh, there's lots of changes of mind and heart in this which I really liked everyone goes on a bit of a journey making their decision but she just kind of clatters into every scene she's in and you're trying to listen carefully to others okay, Claire Foy yeah I didn't I didn't get that I from Claire Foy's that, yeah. performance no Emma no I didn't I, I, th- I thought she I also great, don't like, like her <laughs> okay, well, there's a little bit of bias what coming through there, Ashley. The Cambridge film show bias. James Gordon, Claire Foy. I really, because I thought it was a performance against type for her, so I really, I, I enjoy it. I wouldn't have expected that 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 core of, of huge anger coming out from Claire Foy. She's quite a diminutive, she seems quite diminutive in stature, and I, I really like that. I also completely agree. Um, I think that it's interesting that you have these three, the three central female performances, even though it is an ensemble and everybody does get their their moment. But to have three different um, reactions to what's happening, so you have um, Rooney Mara, who's more quiet and contemplative, and then you have um, Jessie Buckley, who's sort of resigned and pessimistic, and then you have Claire Foy, who's angry. I feel like every you get three different. Um, perspectives on how one might react to this. And actually that's something that I think is to the strength of the film here. You know, there's one cho- there's a choice here. You either stay or you and fight or you leave. And they all have different opinions and there are a lot of things that come into play. So you have so it's not an easy choice for them to make and to have that discussion, you need some sensitivity in the filmmaking which I believe Sarah Polly brought to this. That I was going to... This is turning the tables a little bit because we're on a co-hosting ride this week. <laughs> How do we feel about the fact that this was nom- this has been nominated for a Best Oscar picture, but Sarah Polly, who is such a good director, I think, and you know, from being such a fine actor, such, has not been nominated for a Best Director Oscar. Does that not seem a little bit... She's a girl, so she's well, not allowed. You know, you know what, I mean. what I think about that. You <laughs> well, know. I, I just, but I wanted to flag that up. This yeah. is a wonderful mm. film about women made by a really talented woman. And I feel like maybe they sort of... They, 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 they kind of throw out a best picture nom because they feel that they should do maybe but I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't do because it's a great film but I'm saying that you know really why is it such a good film because the eye behind the camera was exactly. so good well, that's the whole point and I, I think Sarah Polly anyone can come in on this but she, she takes such subject matter and makes it such an engaging view while being sensitive to the issues at hand yeah one of I didn't realise that she directed a film I loved from a good ten years ago called Take This Waltz and uh, it's completely took me by surprise I thought it was going to be a nice romantic film and it's a really lovely subtle look at the reasons we break up with people and why we're in romantic relationships and whether certain people should or shouldn't be and it was just one of the best films and it always sticks out to me all these years later but it's I find it weird when some a film is nominated and the director isn't nominated as well, but it's just such a shame that just get a girl in there, come on. I, I feel it's because perhaps this film's been unfairly classified as like an actor's film it's a bunch of people in a room talking right. and I feel like they probably haven't 
the the that's Oscars. an easy job yeah, of yeah, a director. Yeah. And if, yeah. you know, uh, maybe the Academy sort of went, oh, well, all she's done is point at the camera at the actors. It's no actors. Top but, Gun, But right? I feel like there's a, there's a lot of um, <laughs> subtlety and difficulty in having people talking for 90 minutes in a barn and making yeah. it cinematic. Mm-hmm. And I, she does achieve that, and she should have been nominated. Well, we talked about that, didn't we, last last show about The Whale and about the fact that that was, Aaron, you know, that was based on a stage play and was also very stagey and perhaps suffered from a lack of cinematic... But this, I think, is more cinematic. The, the flashbacks are very, very well done as well. It, 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 it is a powerful film. It is a very powerful film. Um, and that, that is Women Talking, I think, judging from the conversation we've had, that we're all fans yep. of that Go one. It. Um, it's a Certificate 15 and it is currently showing at the Picture House and the Light Cinemas. Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, the Rolling Stones performed at the Rex Ballroom, Chris Farlow was on stage at the Alley Club, and Helen Shapiro played live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back to the swinging 60s with music and memories. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sunday mornings at 8 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services is your local award-winning decorating business with a great reputation. Our professional and friendly team can cover all aspects of decorating for domestic, commercial and industrial properties. So whether it's a bedroom makeover or an entire office block that needs repainting, we'll get the job done on budget and on time. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services to see pictures of our work. Or call us today on 07794 516 291. Right, you are listening to the Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. We're slightly over halfway through, but we've still got to chat about Andrea Riseborough's Oscar-nominated performance in To Leslie and also much preview chat about the BAFTAs to see where we think they're going to end up. But first of all, let's take a trip into the upper echelons of Manhattan society. Sir, the police are here. Police? talk about this i'm gonna pay you for your time stop he's not a cop this is what my son does he plays these games all that work for one thousand dollars if you're gonna steal steal a lot what are you doing here just wanted to say hi a good time all right cool see you around dad I always assumed my son would inherit all this. He doesn't have the fortitude. He's weak. We are switching over to another streaming offer of the week. I think this is actually the first streaming offer we're doing this week. And we're over to Apple TV for their new original, Sharper, with a, a superstarry cast. Um, director Benjamin Caron, who is actually a UK, 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 a UK director. And while I was doing my research for this, because occasionally I do a tiny bit, turns out he's cut his teeth on um, Darren Brown's TV shows. So this kind of makes sense, because essentially Sharper is a twisty, neo-noir... It reminded me a little bit of those films that you see in the 90s, maybe, where we used to have lots of them. We don't have them so much anymore. With an all-star cast, you have in it Justice Smith playing Tom, 
and Brianna Middleton playing Sandra, and they meet cute in Tom's bookshop at the beginning of this, um, in the beginning of this movie. But but she has a troubled background, and perhaps not everything is what it seems as we get entangled into his family, who is the billionaire John Lithgow, married to Julianne Moore, and also one of her cohorts, the ever delightful Sebastian Stan playing Sebastian Stan playing Max, who is conning who in this film. Yossi, you and I have seen this one. We watched yeah. it yesterday. It only landed yesterday. Um, and like I say, it's come pretty well reviewed in terms of, of, of streaming possibilities. Apple TV, I think, do take their original seriously. They put a lot of money behind them. This is glossy. Were you along for the ride? Were you surprised? I was along for the ride and I, I did quite enjoy this. It's, a, you know, it's very stylish. It's got a wonderful cast. I mean, Julianne Moore and Sebastian Stan, come on. I was in it for that. But actually, the supporting cast, I mean, well, they're not supporting, actually, they're leads. Brianna Middleton, Sandra and Justice Smith also really bring their own. And I, I did enjoy this. I'm not going to say that I didn't see some of the double crossing coming. There's a lot of double crossing here, double crossing there and round we go again and double cross. But... I didn't mind at all. I really enjoyed it. And I think a lot of that is down to the strength of the characterisation. Um, you know, the, the film is told in different chapters and each chapter comes from the perspective of one of the characters. And I really liked that as a way of telling the story. So, yeah, it, it worked for me. Yeah, I agree. It's also, obviously, you benefit a bit like, show, let's say, shows as well, a bit like, say, The Undoing that's that's been massive recent hit. You know, you, you get this delightful kind of Manhattan interior port as well as you get glorious New York interiors, a little bit like when watching Tar. But I would thoroughly agree. It was. So, I just think it's so, I think it's slick is the word I, I, yeah. I would use for this. We haven't got any other um, streamers this week, but my goodness, we, we, we talk a lot about stream and, and often Netflix, as probably the most subscribed streaming service, their movies tend to get the most publicity when they're bringing streaming out whereas yeah. this kind of slipped a bit under the radar I would say I wasn't really aware of it until about two days ago and suddenly there it was you know, ready to ready to watch on Apple TV um it looks I think it looks good I think you're right I think the writing and I also think the script is pretty peppy and yeah. it's well written for the characters I mean there's a scene where Julianne Moore is crying quite near, and no one cries like Julianne Moore I mean I, I, I just I was I was like whoever is right I think whoever's written this has really thought about the people that they've got in it and has written to suit them so and nobody feel you know nobody is having to be forced to play against type and I think yeah and I think this kind of film is very difficult to write actually where you've got this kind of thriller about cons and there are twists and turns and it kind of keeps you on your toes until the end I think that's quite difficult to get away with and because of the strength of the storytelling and because you had these sort of really fleshed out characters that you could feel different sympathies for they've all got their different motivations I think that made it really strong and when it did get to the ending and obviously I'm not going to spoil the ending but I was quite happy with that resolution and I thought it worked well Oh, I agree. And I, 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 you're right. I think you can kind of see it coming, but at the same time, you're not angry at it. For, no. for, you're, you're not angry at the film at all for knowing, for knowing where this is going to end up. Because how it, the, the, the fun is in how it gets there, not necessarily where it's going, if you see what I mean. And also, obviously, you have a scene of Sebastian Stan and Julianne Moore dancing in a yes. bar, which is worth the price of a probably free month's trial of Apple TV <laughs> all by itself. I mean, the more dancing I see Sebastian Stan do, the better my life is. 
<laughs> but it, it's nice to see Apple TV coming with these films. As you say, Apple TV kind of go under the radar with their picks, apart from something like Coda, which obviously won Best Picture, was it last year? Yeah, last year. Or, or the year before. Quite a lot of their films, you don't really notice them. But this one, I think it was quite refreshing and better than some of the more well, it, recent streamers I have seen. Well, it made me think, what was that? Net, was it Netflix? The girl in the, was it The Girl in the Window, the one with Juliet? That really was horrendous. That, yeah, Vicky is nodding, nodding and, and confirming I'm correct. The one with um, Amy Adams. And it sort of has that feel about it because that was also a twisty who done it what's going on but this is just this was literally echelons above it and i just yeah. think it it is a really really good watch it's a fun watch but it's very well done it reminded me of films like say grifters with angelica houston john cusack back in the like i say back in the 90s and the early noughties and we don't seem to make them anymore it's just a classic sort of b movie no it was it's it's great it's a really really good piece of entertainment it's a certificate 15 and it's available to stream on apple tv right now so we're going to turn to our last film of the day of, of the show which is To Leslie Leslie how does it feel to win such a life changing sum of money oh well I feel a hell of a lot better than yesterday <laughs> what do you plan to do with 190,000 smackaroos yeah, I don't know maybe buy a house buy something nice for my boy you know just have a better life save my soul Ran through the night, lost in the woods. And I won't be a good mama again. She's blew all that money. Yeah. <laughs> Where's she been? I won the lottery. I was the one who won the lottery. Look help yourself. Little bit of a switcheroo here. It's it's me asking the questions this time. So th that was the trailer for To Leslie, which is um, directed by Michael Morris, and it stars Andrea Riseborough. We'll come on to that in a second. It's about the, the titular character Leslie, um, who is a woman who has spent all of her prize money from the lottery and needs to find redemption after a, a motel owner offers her a job. Um, Emma, now we've t we've talked about this film a lot already, actually, without having seen it, because uh, on our last show we discussed the Oscar nominations, and of course, a lot of the talk about this film is around Andrea Riseborough and how she was nominated in the Best Actress category for this film. I'm a big Andrea Riseborough fan. Um, I haven't seen this, so I'm expecting big things from her performance. How did this land with you? Well, I, I, I'm also a fan of, of, of Andrea Riseborough, and, and please do not you know, think in any way this is any kind of... And, and, you know, what the heck, people get awards for, through all kinds of ways, and if, they, if this is how they decided to do it, through the fact that the director's wife is sort of a, a key player at CAA, and so they got all their famous friends to promote the heck out of it over Instagram, hey-ho! But, you know, but, um, studios just stick loads of money into it. I was expecting something more, maybe. It's a very... The other thing that stuck with me was when people were talking about this online, they kept saying it's the little movie with the big heart. And it just... I didn't get that. I've never watched a more kind of generic... It felt to me generic, grainy indie of, you know, not exactly poverty porn I wouldn't say but you know veering on it maybe and it, it just it felt like yeah he, he, you know where you are from the very beginning she is you know she is a, a very troubled alcoholic she won $190,000 on the lottery six years previously she's burned her way through that and now she's having to come back to really find she's got a little scrap of paper on which are written the names of the few people that she can still contact to try and go back to and the first one that she, she ends up with is um, her son James which is a, a fine performance from Owen Teague but then you know she even ends up stealing from him within and, and that's it she's back out again but it just could not it's a two hour runtime, and from the sort of get go 
Andrea Riseborough is, is, is playing Leslie as a sort of, you know, as, as, as a shrieking drunk, if you like. And I felt like the, the performance, there, there was not much nuance in it for me. Ashley, is this film just a platform for Riseborough's talent or is there more to it? I really liked it and then Emma turned me against it in the car on the way oh here dear. with all that vitriol. <laughs> oh but, no. but then I looked I looked up because I, I do agree that it was it was a little too easy. It was a little too fairy tale for the subject matter. I think there are lots of reasons to that. One of the reasons I think is screenwriter Ryan Binaco, I think you say, wrote it um, for his own mum. It's not quite the character, but he had similar things going on in a bid to try and understand why all this happened to her. Um, and I do think it's a nice comment on, and especially because people don't really like the character Leslie in it, and it's how we treat that particular illness, the illness of addiction. It's never treated the way it should be. People do just end up turning their backs on you, getting tired of you because you're so difficult. You'd never do that to a quadriplegic, for example, because they are very difficult to live with and care for. Um, but addicts just never seem to get the same treatment. It is a little bit too easy for the character, and I think that's because the writer just wants to give his own mum this fairy tale ending. She ends up sleeping rough quite early on in the film, and then the wonderful Mark Maron, who has an excellent podcast you must listen to, lovely, gruff, kind man, just magically offers her a job which happens to include room and board. And then this big, brilliant thing she does at the end of the film that I did see coming a long way off, I won't say if it works out for her or not, in the way she wants to, but just too many good things seem to keep getting thrown at this person mm. who in real life probably wouldn't make it at all um, but again it's it's a nice way to see addicts in film because they do end up just dying in gutters and losing all their friends and family and it's not always the case yeah and I did wonder about that because when I read the synopsis and I thought okay it's a single mother who has alcoholism who needs to find redemption down on a luck I thought is this just going to bring up the kind of tired old tropes we see with these kinds of films now Emma from what you've said before I'm thinking actually yes maybe it does do it that. It does do that, and it also I I, I would I I think about something like Red Rocket, okay, because this is also set oh, in yeah, Texas in a very impoverished Texas. It does not. Whoever is lensing this behind the camera does not use much imagination when it comes. Oh, at least I didn't think so. Visually, this just didn't hit any kind of beats with me at all, one way one way or another. It it, it just uh, yeah. So like I say, I thought about okay, I was thinking about Red Rocket. Red Rocket is not about addiction per se, but it's a similar kind of story ab ab about you know the, the the lower classes in Texas trying to you know get by if you like trapped in a lifestyle. And this yeah. just it just because I think you can see from halfway through where it's going. And you're like, well, that's great. Yeah, she's met this lovely man who's gonna you know and, and, and finally someone is taking the time because there's never any talk about you know there's never any talk about if she tried to clean herself up in the past. You don't get that impression. You just get yeah. the impression that she literally has drunk until she's had no more money to drink you don't get the impression she's ever tried or but you know but that's that's it is as Ashley said it's an illness so that's not, it's not up to us to dictate whether or not she should have tried but I just feel that as soon as it comes in you're like I know exactly where this is going and it doesn't get there in a very interesting way we were just saying about Sharper you know the end's coming but it gets there in quite a you know in an interesting and, and, and sort of slick and, and, and visually entertaining way. This just didn't for me. It just and it sort of throws in Alison yeah Alison Janney as her friend Nancy and Stephen and you Yeah, I was gonna ask because I didn't even realise Alison Janney was in it and I love Alison Janney, but no not She oh she's amazing in it, so is Stephen Root, but they don't they're not used very much. It's it's Mark Marin and Andrea Riceborough's vehicle really. 
Okay, well, a bit a bit mixed with our team here today, but that that is to Leslie, and it is a certificate fifteen. I think we are now about to talk about the Baftas. I yeah. think we are. I think Ash is about to come okay. into her own because my favourite season is awards. <laughs> Um, but yeah, BAFTA's on 7pm Sunday, BBC One. Um, all the nominations looking pretty close to what the Oscars are, which is pretty normal. Um, but there are a few things that stand out for us. Put your hands up, lads, and I'll point to you. This is a visual gag, so you won't get it. Um, but Danielle Deadweiler is nominated for Till at the BAFTA's. She was shockingly and appallingly left out of the Oscars what do we want to say about that? What's the political difference between the BAFTAs and the Oscars? Because the Oscars needs an Oscars so white kind of win here and they lost it with her and she is deserving. Not only should she have been nominated, she should definitely have won that Oscar. I, the BAFTAs have gone for her though. Yeah, well I think it's it's it, it, it was to do with that Andrea I mean we, we talked a lot about that Andrea Riseborough campaign and the Oscars did look into it, the Academy did look into it because there was even one actress who's a member who literally was on her Instagram saying look, Danielle Deadwell is going to be a lock so you don't need to vote yeah. for her guys, don't worry about it, let's turn it upside down and let's stick Use Andrea Riseborough at the top of all our, our ballots and then it didn't work for her. Right. Which is, and like I say, it's such a beautifully nuanced performance within a film that wasn't perhaps deserving of best film, but her performance was it just heartbreaking for yeah. all the right reasons. So, well, good on you, BAFTAs. She won't win, though. It'll be obviously Kate Blanchett. <laughs> we may as well just wrap it up and give it We'll wrap now. this up now, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think um, they've done her dirty. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the Oscars, I think they say is just run by certain society which just want to do what they want to do but obviously the BAFTA's a lot more inclusive and her performance deserves a whole lot more. Yeah and it's that kind of uninclusivity in the, and the private little club of elites that mm. meant they were very upset that Andrea Riseborough managed to get the nomination because behind the scenes you need to spend a certain amount of money on full page ads in certain newspapers, you need to attend certain lunches, you need to do other certain events and pay other certain people to get an Oscar nomination. That is how it works. It's out there. There's a film called For Your Consideration, if you want to figure that one out. The BAFTAs has a slightly better voting panel, don't they? Well, and mm. also, like you say, well, we're more inclusive, I think, in the BAFTAs in the fact that we have, like, outstanding British film and we have rising stars, so, you know, the rising star... Um, oh, I'm going to talk about the rising category. star. Oh, I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, I was going to throw out that I think it'll be really interesting to see if the BAFTAs go for... Brendan Fraser in The Whale because I would say probably about say, two yeah. awards ago he was probably bang on favourite right for the Oscar it's got to be between him, him and Austin Butler there's no one else Austin for the Oscar will give it to the whale, I think. What do you think? And you're yeah. very good on. You're very good on predictions. See, I, I think we're going to get. It. I think we might well give it to, to Austin because <laughs> I don't think the whale spoke to British audiences in the way that it spoke to American audiences, as we talked about. Please tune into our show on the podcast if you'd like to hear why. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've gone for Anna Diarmas as well in Blonde. I loved that film, but I am basic and I love Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> but it was just a caricature, and I, she shouldn't have been nominated anything. Um, however, another little. Um, thing I liked that popped up, Dara McCormack is up for Best Leading Man in Good Luck Leo Grand and he's one of our, the UK's big rising stars. I was very pleased to see him up. Yeah, and I just I wanted to flag that with the BAFTAs you do get, as, as I think Emma mentioned, you do showcase British film and mm. I really enjoyed Good Luck to You Leo Grande. I thought that was a really nice surprise. Ooh. No, you're wrong no, about that. I'm he's not lovely. wrong. Yeah. I'm not wrong. I really, I actually, I had no idea what to expect. Good for you, And I Lizzie. thought it was great and I love Emma Thompson and I she love She hates Emma 
Emma Thompson, so don't listen to her. I don't hate Emma Thompson, but I did not like that film at all. I did not. I just. I didn't. That did not. It did not sit well with me. It sat well with me, and no. I'm. I'm going to say it is quite nice to see these nominations. And and for someone like Daryl McCormack, who is, as you mentioned, quite a rising star at the moment, yeah. loved him in Bad Sisters. Um, it's refreshing to see that. And there are other films like, I think, All Quiet to the Western Front, who I think, which I think had the most nominations. Yes, it did. And yeah. it's a That's up for best film. everything. Which is doing really well. And we'll probably get some great, some great um, attention here. Yeah. Yeah, um, I hope so. Is it not in Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet's um, contract, though, that they just have to be nominated every year they bring a film out because they are I'm not, national I'm not about, I'm not trademark? That. <laughs> People do have contracts like that. Well, we'll see. Now Weinstein's dead to us. Um, <laughs> it's all coming out. Um, Empire of Light, which I wasn't on that show, but I remember I was very excited to see it, but you all hated it. It's up for best cinematography. Does it deserve that at least? Yes. Um, out of everything that I had to suffer through with Empire of Light, um, I'll give I'll give it for the the cinematography. It's Roger Deakins. It's Roger Deakins. It was it was a gorgeous portrayal of Margate. Margate. <laughs> and, um, Margate uh, is up and coming kids yeah. Yeah. great just, art just gallery ruined by some sideline stories yeah. just, just a little bit <laughs> oh no yeah you can't have Olivia Coleman in a film and not give it something that's also against the law um, and then on to the rising star which is a brilliant category um, I don't think Darren McCormack's going to get his leading man but he's up for rising star along with Naomi Aki who played Whitney Houston this year mm -hmm. and Emma McKay off sex education but not just Emma McKay Amy Lee Wood and she's the important one here she, is she? she has just she has just started in cabaret in the West you know in the West End you know the, the cabaret that started off with Eddie that's Redmayne that's my and friend Frecker's show yes, Bucky, I believe Amy Lee Wood's just taken over one of the leads she directed really good? it no Amy Lee Wood is uh, obviously um, sex education is such a popular popular show on Netflix and you know Emma Mackey's uh, she's left she's doing her own thing right now on Netflix she recently did Eiffel a few films coming out but Amy Lee Wood is the treasure of that show and I'm very she is an excited. adorable person yeah. I love her I'm very excited for what she has to come so I think um, in my perspective Rising Star and she's the poster title for this as well you click on that category oh, she is oh. the picture of it and I just think she's the one that is very deserving put your money on that throwing it out there <laughs> throwing it out there do we think that the everything everywhere all at once train is going to continue through the BAFTAs do we think that's going to get this movie well a lot of things no. obviously like everyone was saying with the BAFTAs lots of different things have been nominated including is they've given a lot to Woman King which I'm very excited yes. about Good and film. Decision to Leave is getting a lot of nominations yeah. I think this might be the as much as I love everything, everywhere, and all the ones, and deserve so much, I think this might be the point where you know it get other films get a little chip in, and they deserve yeah. that. Well, I, I agree. Maybe Banshees. That I well should be maybe I I would maybe then put my money behind Banshees of Inner Sharon. Well, that's what I was I was going to put my money on on Banshees too. I just think that's what kind of goes yeah, down it's really the well. Largest with, export this year. Yeah, and it goes down really <laughs> well with the BAFTA audience. So yeah. I, I I reckon it's that. And it's a great film. I mean, I, I oh my god, and I love it's it. Incredible. It, it's brilliant. Yeah. It is. So I think, and who's and who's in, who's hosting it? Ash. Oh, I didn't get that. It's far. Alison Hammond oh, and no. Virginie Grant. Yes. Oh, yeah. What, what a combo, though. What? I mean, who would have thought? It could be like the days of when Sam Fox and Mick Fleetwood did the Brits. Yeah, Not really. I'm or it, it could be it like bit. when Franco and Hathaway crashed the Oscars into the side of a bus. It was bad. Um, I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna ask one last question. I'm gonna ask this one to Stu. Stu, what are you putting your money on for animated film? <laughs> Oh, 
I think it's I think it's really impressive that Marcel the shoes on is getting Winner. all these nominations for animation Winner. because there was a lot of contention around whether or not it would even qualify in some awards for animation because stop it's stop motion. It's stop motion, but it's it's also the mixture of live action. So they had to go through a lot of checks, I think, for the at least for the Oscar nom. Did it was that was it a nomination for an Oscar? It's got one Oscar nomination, yeah, I guess yeah. it's that. And I think that was when they had to go through. They had to like really pick through it and say, well, is it at least seventy five percent animated? Uh, and is the is the live action elements is that limited on the screen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that's a really interesting choice in that regard, technically. Um, but by the same token, I see that here we don't have an animated film Puss in Boots like we did with the Oscars for the Baptists, which is a shame because it is great. We do, we do. Oh, no, we do, sorry. Yeah. It's Puss the list in front of me, I can't out. read. Pinocchio and Turning Red. Oh, so, so, so everything yeah, out there, Puss in Boots, give it that. There we go, done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, back, it's going to take a long time for everyone to say bye because there are 8,000 people in this room. <laughs> We're going to go and record another show right now. We're not sure if or when it's going to go out live, but it will be up oh. on our podcast to shove in all the other yeah. films because it's awards season. You. I can tell you what's Emma, run it down. Streaming rom-com, somebody that I used to know and your place or mine, Marcel the Shell with shoes on, delight. Knock at the cabin, M. Night Shalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal